0: hello everyone welcome to gen c gen c is generation crypto these are the people who are raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money identity how they look at privacy and how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with we're super focused on how web2 and web3 brands are building for these audiences I am Sam Yuan from Coindesk and our co-host, of course, Avery Akinini from Vayner. Avery, what's going on?
1: Sam is our second episode of 2023, and I think everybody is hitting the ground running this year. I am doing great, but I'm so curious to hear from you. How was CES? How was the Consumer Electronic Show? What did you think of it this year? I didn't make it, so I'm really curious if Web3 was everywhere or if it was anywhere.
0: Great question. CES was a little bit of both. One, there were some amazing people, great conversations that were had. We interviewed, I think, almost 20 people and did a bunch of great sessions on stage. And so that was fantastic. The thing that I was most interested in is how much Web3 was not showing up on the show floor. For anyone who hasn't been to CES, it is really an expo show. It is, you know, a million square feet of demo space for people to sort of show off their new wares. There was like 15-foot holograms of Mark Cuban. There was like all of this amazing sort of gaming and VR tech and haptic tech that we saw and tons of autonomous cars. But when I kept looking, I was like, oh, I'm not seeing much Web3 here, which compared to when you go to a South by Southwest or a Cannes or even, you know, Art Basel, you see Web3 almost everywhere. Here, it was kind of missing. And so I'm just, I was a bit surprised because I thought I would see more from not being there, but seeing the news. What was your takeaway?
1: Yeah, well, I was thinking about going and I've been to CES a bunch of times before this year, just timing didn't work out. So I was following along the news. I was really excited to see what Raja for MasterCard announced with MasterCard's Web3 Accelerator. They're doing that in collaboration with Polygon Studios, which I thought was really cool. That seemed to be sort of the biggest Web3 announcement in news. But a lot of what I was seeing was more hardware developments like L'Oreal unveiled some new technology on the sort of applicator phase for You know, people with accessibility challenges. I thought that was amazing. I didn't see a ton about Web3 though, outside of MasterCard's announcement with Polygon.
0: Where we were positioned on the show floor, there was something that said the future of the industrial metaverse next to us. And I kind of went in a little deeper and it was like, what's the metaverse for government, for education, for business? And so I kind of kept looking and I sort of didn't actually ever find out what the what was, just the fact that someone is working on it
1: it was just like buzzword soup. That's I feel right. like that's a lot of these shows though. It's just Exactly. You know, acronym soup, let me throw in every hot buzzword in marketing and see what happens. But what I think you're getting at is the fact that CES is a hardware show. And that is, you know, the primary function of people who are going there and in the last, you know, 5-10 years there's been a lot of digital marketing activity. A lot of marketers go, a lot of, you know, media companies are taking CMOs on helicopters across the Grand Canyon. I got to do that once. It was really amazing. But I think it started as this hardware show, then it sort of morphed into digital media. And I mean, it did seem really packed. I saw tons of pictures of really crowded halls. seemed like a lot of people came out this year, which I think also just sort of gives this bullish signal for the future of innovation. And how Web3 falls into that, I think is still to be determined. From my perspective, I think Web3 is still being defined in so many ways. A lot of people are looking at Web3 as a sort of... like. An inch wide and a mile deep on NFTs and crypto, but you know, at least at Vayner, we're thinking about this as a little bit more expansive, like future of the internet type of thing. And I think that kind of touches on what you just mentioned: is it metaverse? Is it hardware? Like, is this movement? Is this a technology? Something to explore and for our listeners to keep learning with us together.
0: And to your point, there were 110,000 people. That's a lot compared to last year, where there was you know less than half of that. For sure, the big trade show is back, and at least that's one takeaway that we can have from it for all the good and bad that that brings. There's a Media Monk report that just came out all about luxury and Web3. We'll link it in the show notes. But I found this quote that I thought was really interesting from the chief marketing officer at Balmain. I don't want to butcher the name. I think it's Chumpy Diz or something like that, Chumpy Diz. Um, But they said to us, Web3 is like social media 10 years ago or e-commerce 20 years ago. We need to build our own space in Web3 and we need to test which experiments make sense for us as a luxury house. And I thought that was just really powerful to think of and for our audience and for our industry to say, we're still at you know 2012 when it comes to what social media was. And I guess I wanted to sort of hear from you, your take, especially around luxury and fashion in Web3 and sort of where you think we are in that cycle.
1: Yeah, to me, I think luxury makes a ton of sense for Web3. And the brands who have done it well successfully to date have done so as collaborations. I think when we look at something like a Tiffany's and a CryptoPunks or even a G-Money and what he's building, in the early days, there is the 1 plus 1 equals 11 strength of collaboration. I think brands who are looking at like, let me go build my island for Web3 are having a lot of challenges with that. Because this whole world exists as sort of interoperable and the communities are still very small. But when you unlock the right partnerships, that can drive tremendous success, tremendous commercial success, tremendous brand equity success. So, you know, that's at least where I'm seeing luxury really resonate is doing things that are scarce, that are beautiful, that are interesting, that are unusual, and typically doing that with collaborations that really lean into the existing sort of crypto luxury community, because those folks do have interest in, you know, expanding the IP of the things that they love and care about.
0: Where my head goes is, you know, do we need another puffy Montclair jacket in the metaverse? You know, if the idea is just how are we dressing our avatars like we would dress ourselves, that feels a little reductive and it feels a little sort of um, been there, done that in terms of the marketing opportunity, as opposed to how do we utilize this tool set to sort of create a potential future?
1: Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think the digital fashion It's not that it's wrong. It's just it's very early and we haven't really seen it hit yet. And the reason for that is, you know, avatars are still like really an emerging thing. So, digital fashion, I think, in order for that to hit, in order for that to be a meaningful, you know, opportunity for brands, it has to be designed in a place where people actually, you know, are changing virtual clothes. So, within games, it's huge. That's the reason we see skins be so important. But I think in the world of sort of selling virtual clothing, um, you got to have a virtual body to put it on, you know. We're still figuring out where that fits in. Maybe we should bring onto the show some folks, whether it's like from Genies or from DressX at some point, to talk about what they're doing because they're much closer to this stuff. And I think luxury brands have a real opportunity here. And you know, a lot of the early movers on the brand side that we've seen have actually been in this sort of luxury world.
0: Totally agree. I still think though, and I'm just going to play the contrary, and like, I don't want to create a use case that isn't actually a use case. The thing that I thought was the most interesting I've ever heard in the terms of metaverse fashion was a conversation I had with Chad Knight, who's a very well-known sort of 3D artist, NFT artist already, but also for 10 years was a designer of sneakers at Nike. He was kind of their head of their 3D practice. And he and I were talking, I think it was last year at Art Basel, and I posed a similar question to him. And he said that his vision of a future where when you buy your Air Force Ones, that you can then wear those same rare first ones on your character in the metaverse. Totally makes sense. We've all been talking about that. But he said then the ability to add rarity traits in where this one that you happen to buy, which might be one of 10,000 of that pair, gives you like the opportunity to have visibility or to fly, right? Like the fact that real world unlocks for virtual traits, that to me started to say, oh, here's something that feels really interesting because it's an unexpected
1: that's something that's actually creative.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, just going back to Yes, one more piece of information that came out of that, which I just wanted to get your take on, was on stage, I think it was on Friday, Leslie Silverman from UTA, shout out to Leslie, who's really an amazing operator in this space, frankly. Love Leslie. Her and Kevin Rose were on stage and they announced that Moonbirds and Proof Collective signed with UTA for representation. Now these kinds of like brand signs with, representation announcements happen quite often but i do think that people got kind of excited about this about where can one bring the moonbirds ecosystem in terms of ip and so like what's your take on both this specific announcement but also why these collections sign with talent agencies and what we could expect out of that
1: yeah i think broadly these collections and these Thought leaders and creators in Web3 are signing with talent agencies because they want to build their brands, not just within the world of web three, but beyond. And those talent agencies have deep connections in the Hollywood world, in fashion, film, you know, brand deals, all of that kind of interesting things. And Kevin is himself an operator for a very long time. He's, you know, built many different companies before. And I think, you know, him and UTA working together makes a ton of sense in terms of moonbirds it's one that has captured the attention of the web3 community many times over from the initial launch to the cco announcement you know i think undoubtedly it's a sort of like blue chip project and it'll be cool to see where these sort of cco brands can go from you know whether it's an acquisition perspective or a long term ip development perspective if they're going to bring the holders along with them It's going to be a new model for the talent agencies to deal with too. They're used to dealing with like one sort of decision maker who's creating the IP. This is a whole new world of, you know, 10,000 potential decision makers who are holders of this project. It's a new challenge, but I really appreciate what Leslie Silverman has been building at UTA and the deep relationships she's been forging with these creators. I guess the contrarian take, though, would be because it's such a new world and because so much of access is decentralized. You just slide into anyone's Twitter DMs and someone randomly at our basil and end up doing a deal with them. You know, that's happened to me a million times over. I think the talent agencies are redefining their role because just being a connections broker isn't the same value that it used to be, just since access to information, access to people and building relationships digitally is such a huge thing now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Avery, I am so excited for our guest today. Mark Mathieu is the co founder of the Web3 studio at Salesforce. And I just am so fascinated. I think, you know, when we think of the big moments of the last year of how brands are going to come into our space, we look at Nike, we look at Reddit, we look at Starbucks, we look at so many of the products you guys have done with folks like Pepsi and Heiser Bush that we've talked about. But I think Salesforce coming in at the CRM level, where they're giving this giant tool set to a, an amazing amount of companies is a complete game changer. And I think that is just something that I'm excited to hear. And Mark is a brilliant marketer. He was the CMO of Samsung. He led the brand at Coke. He's been at all these different sort of Fortune 500 companies and pushing the needle and being a little bit rebellious in how he does it from the get-go. So Mark will be on after the break. And I'm just really excited to have this conversation.
1: Me too. It's going to be a good episode. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, where Web3 meets IRL, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer marketers, advertisers, brand leaders, creators, builders, founders, entrepreneurs, and more. Mark, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm really, really excited to have you.
2: Great to be here.
1: Awesome. Let's just start off by introducing you to our audience. Can you share a little bit about, you know, your career? You've done all these incredible things all across the world in the world of marketing, general management, and beyond. You know, working at companies like Coca-Cola, Danone, and now Salesforce. Can you tell us a little bit about what drove you to sort of take this career in marketing and innovation?
2: So I started really in sales and marketing and evolved into general management. And there was a pivot for me when I was asked to go out to actually um, manage the recall of Coca-Cola, the biggest recall ever in the company in Belgium, in a situation where the brand had totally lost its trust with consumers, but also with customers, with employees. And I realized that actually there was no playbook to rebuild the trust and that I have some passion and also probably some predisposition to uh, rebuild, reinvent marketing playbooks that rebuild trust in innovative, disruptive ways. And so I've always been, from that moment in time, you know, fascinated by trust and by people. And that's what kept me going into a marketing career from the time when Coke actually asked me if I would go in Atlanta to lead the global repositioning of trademark Coke, all the way to uh, my career at uh, Unilever, at Samsung, in those leading marketing positions that brought me to Salesforce.
0: Mark, you were the CMO of Samsung America. And so I'm interested in that sort of moment when maybe you looked at Web3 and said, this is the new innovation. You'd already been, I think, doing this in so many different positions. What was that trigger moment that said to you, this is an area I want to spend time in?
2: It's interesting, actually, because I I flirted with Web3 before I would say Web3 found me. So I started to explore communities back at Unilever. I thought there was something quite interesting. I've been wondering, why do we spend so much time doing marketing when consumers want to do marketing for you? And I realized that there were all those, you know, creators, especially in the world of hairs. There were so many videos posted on hair. So how can we tap into that community of people who are passionate about hairdo? Something I personally don't fully understand. But
1: Mark, you could be a hair leading community. Mark, actually, for (laughs) viewers who can't see this, um, Mark has amazing hair. So I'll throw that out there. Absolutely. So...
2: Then when I went on Samsung, same, I realized that there was amazing creators like Casey Neistat who, you know, were ready, you know, for a fee, but were ready to actually do marketing for us. And I realized that we could market, you know, the brand, not through our own marketing, but through the people who were actually using the brands, the creators, the makers, the gamers. And I remember at that time, actually, based on that, bringing my entire marketing team to uh, MIT Media Lab to explore blockchain. And then I came to Samsung. And indeed, with that role around innovation, I was looking for new ways to show up as brands in people's life. And that's how, little by little, I got invited to talk about the future of luxury. I was also invited to talk about DeFi. And um, I couldn't uh, avoid talking and deep diving into the rabbit hole of Web3.
0: So Mark, when you were giving your intro, you talked about being a Coke at this very challenging time where you had to rebuild trust and that trust is very important to you. Now in Web3, we all talk about this being a trustless system, a permissionless system where brands often are only judged by the amount of opportunity that they sort of bring in the Web3 space to the owners and the collectors and the people involved. And so I'm also interested just in hearing you talk a little bit more about, you know, what does it mean to be in an ecosystem where collectors and the artists are the ones really pushing it forward and the brand becomes a little bit of the steward of that relationship?
2: I think that's really what uh, drove me into it. I remember, you know, all my career almost saying, consumers, who are people too? Almost apologizing for the way we were looking at consumers as, uh, you know, people whose only job was to consume. And so we would try to target them all the time as if we wanted to shoot them, and uh, then sell them more and more products. When in reality, what attracted me in Web3 is this idea that we're going back to, I think, the original promise of the internet, going back to this idea that the creators and the owners of the internet should be the ones who uh, not only contribute, but also benefit in a real, you know, fair way and i feel that brands have always been a little bit on their you know pedestal like you know the audience is listening and in reality web3 rebalances the card and i think that for the brands that will continue to look at the audience you know deep from above they will not embrace and benefit from that opportunity but for the brands that will be willing to sit at the same table as the, all the players in the ecosystem, the creators, the consumers who become you know, creators too, I think there will be immense opportunities.
1: Yeah, Mark, it's incredible to hear you so articulately espouse some of the principles of Web3, and you actually co-founded Salesforce's Web3 Studio. Why do you think a company like Salesforce needs to be involved and be building in this capacity and supporting many brands on their journey into this world of Web3?
2: So Salesforce of course is the number 1 CRM company but it's also a company that's guided by its values. And we have five values and I think they're answering the question you're asking. The first three values are fundamentally our trust, customer success and innovation. You know, web 3 at the end is a new way for brands to build trust and relationships with their customers and You know, we just talked about that trust that uh, has been in a way lost in the Web2 era. And it's a way to build that trust in a direct way, not third party trust, if you will, and uh, to future proof their business, their relationships in new innovative ways. So here you touch, you know, trust, customer success, and innovation. And then the next two are equality and sustainability. And that's really where I think we have this opportunity. As Salesforce, but also as an entire community, not to build just another internet, but to build a better internet. And we've been working very closely internally and externally with partners in the world of ethics, of sustainability, to make sure that the Salesforce contribution helps this make a better internet.
0: Salesforce has, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of clients. You have small businesses, you have Fortune 500s, you guys are, you know, offering a sort of suite of opportunities to get into Web3, but how do you position that for such a wide variety of industries and businesses? What's sort of the platform that you're building and the tool set that you're offering this wide array of businesses to be able to come into the Web3 space?
2: So we indeed have worked over the course of just the last year with a lot of uh, both, let's say, medium-sized to very large you know, corporations. And what's great in the way we've worked with them is with the medium-sized ones or individual brands, we've actually worked more on experimentation and rapid prototyping but as we worked with the larger fortune 500 those multi brand multi geography companies we realized that actually what their real problematic was was going to be how to take those experimentations and industrialize them scale them and that's really what you know we have been developing at the core of salesforce web3 is this ability to manage this new relationship with this new data layer that sits on the public blockchain as a core component of customer relationship management, but a new kind of relationship with a new kind of customers that has a new kind of demands and expectations.
0: A lot of the NFT space grew on the idea of collection and potential appreciation for that. What we've seen in the last bunch of months, and you guys are part of this, is the idea of really actually reimagining customer engagement, customer loyalty, membership. And so, you know, is that where you guys saw the unlock to say we can actually supercharge your communities as businesses?
2: Yeah, I feel that there is a unique opportunity and a tipping point in the way customers, people are actually aware now of how their data is being used and the way they expect this new relationship to give you their trust and their loyalty. They want much more in return than just a promise or a product. And so we see this reality in a marketing that's shifting from relying on the cookie and the social platforms to uh, somehow achieve its goals to marketing where you respect the customer for who he is. And in a way, it's almost creating loyalty for the first time, maybe ever, as a two-way street. Yes, I expect the customer, the consumer to be loyal to my brand, but the consumer also expects his brand to be loyal to them, to serve them, to create utility. And they want that on an ongoing basis, not at the moment of purchase, but they want that in their lifetime. So it flips the model of customer lifetime value. It's not value for the PNL, it's value for the consumer himself or herself, so that they actually See real tangible value with a brand that's ready to serve them.
1: Amazing. And Mark, I mean, all businesses have different communities of customers, clients, or fans. And I love what you're getting at about this layer of sort of always on loyalty and always on sort of two way dialogue. How do you think Web3 hypercharges that community engagement for brands?
2: I think communities, really, we talked about that earlier, what brought me little by little into Web3. Actually, when I joined the company, I was told, Mark, why don't you write a book on the future model of brands powered by technology? And the working title of that book, which I've not written yet, was actually Your Brand is Your Community. And so I'm a huge believer in communities. It's a huge opportunity because it moves us away from... You know, always being obsessed with knowing people's, you know, name and phone number and email address so that we can target them and addressing them more as a group of like minded communities, like minded people that we can select and serve based on affinities. And so that's why I think that it moves really to understanding people better. Without knowing the superficial layer of data, which is, you know, their name and phone number and email, but knowing through, you know, public data based on what they own, what they engage with, knowing what in different facets of their identity, what they are passionate about. And what's fantastic is that it moves the consumer from collaborator to co-owner to co-marketer, co-innovator, co-creator but also co-beneficiary and that's why I'm not always sure that the brands are ready for that is to say yes I'm happy to engage my customer but they still want to control and they don't want to you know share the benefits and I think uh, we're going to need to have you know with this uh, community marketing model we're going to need to really you know think through how to make it work so that we don't go back to natural tendencies of turning a community of 10,000 into a million, 10 million, and you're back to audience marketing.
0: Mark, to pull on that a little bit more, because, I mean, you just said so much there that I think is so on point and correct, and so admire how you look at this stuff in the space. You know, when you think about just the ideas of trustless and permissionless systems, you've written about decentralization and zero-party data, but also just the thoughts of co-ownership, co-marketing, you know, sort of co-collaboration in a brand, that could feel a little bit scary for some businesses that are used to marketing traditionally, you know? And so you being a little bit more of a, I would say, rebellious thinker and rogue thinker when you come to how you approach marketing systems for some of the largest companies in the world and now with Salesforce, what's your pitch to these other businesses to say, no, like, come on in, it's okay. Like, how do you get them across that
2: line? Yeah, I feel that in a way, and you're right to say that it can be scary because I often say people, are not afraid of change, they're afraid of being changed. And in a way, we, you know, we've gotten accustomed to the internet as we know it, an internet that is way far from the original internet dream of a free, open, reliable, interoperable, you know, an internet by the people for the people. And so I think that this fear comes from the fact that a lot of people, including myself, you know, plead guilty you know we all contributed to making web 2 a little bit this not exactly the dream we had at the beginning and this idea of giving back power to the users and creators of the internet i think you know a lot of people understand conceptually that it makes sense that we've you know taken too much away you know from the consumer the customers and giving too much of it to the platforms and they are scared and to me the reason not to be scared is that taking that power back is actually an opportunity to yes give some of it back to the consumer and all the members of the ecosystem but also to take back some of it to the brands we've gotten used to not you know working directly with the customers and i think the real opportunity of web3 is to build that You know, peer to peer relationship between the brand and its customers in a way that honestly, we've not experimented with because the technology was not there and the technology enables that today. And so that's the amazing opportunity is this ability to, you know, market and sell directly, bring back sales and marketing together and uh, build that much more logical, you know, relationship than going through intermediaries all the time for everything.
1: Yeah, let's cut out the middleman. So let's talk about the big boss at Salesforce, Mark Benioff. He owns Time and he also owns Salesforce. And both of those two companies are innovating and embracing Web3 in different ways. Is there a core challenge that you know, Mark has posed to yourself and potentially you know, folks like Keith and Maya from the Time magazine team of how you all are actually looking at solving business challenges with Web3.
2: So first of all, Mark is a fan and he saw firsthand the power that uh, Web3 brought to time, a power to refresh and even reinvent the brand, a power to make it relevant to a whole new generation of customers, and also to generate new revenue. And I think, you know, as a businessman, he said, how can I bring this to the Hundreds of thousands of customers that uh, Salesforce serves. And how can I enable their success? You know, customer success told you is one of our core values and bring them that innovation magic that I really think Web3 can be in a way that will help them to, you know, build or rebuild the trust with their customer base. So it's almost a logical flow of somebody who indeed, you know, observed the opportunity and said, you know, everybody should benefit from this.
1: I love that. And, you know, on a more personal note, Mark, you and Sam, you are both familiar with this. At Vayner, we kind of have a similar model where, you know, chairman sees something, he tests something, and then he scales something across customer base. And I think having that practical experience of like, this is actually how it works. And this is how I saw it in something that I own as a businessman is incredibly powerful. And then, you know, Gives a blueprint that can then be scaled across a much wider swath of customers.
0: Yeah. And I think one, it is so amazing that you've been given this task and that you can then bring that task to your team as well. And I think the stuff you guys are building is incredible. I guess I'm just so interested in where Web3 goes. And I think you and I were both last week in Las Vegas. I walked the show floor kind of looking for Web3 and I had a little bit of a hard time finding it. And so I'm just wondering is there anything that you saw out there? And we know it's a hardware show, but were there things that started to speak to you that maybe we can apply to how Web3 will start to work into everyday businesses based on what you saw out at CES?
2: I think what was interesting is um, we've definitely moved beyond the short-term hype and uh, lock into you know short-term money-making and fame and we are starting to work with an ecosystem that's looking for true utility and utility that you know brings value again you know we talked before about loyalty for brands but so you start to see people talking about web3 when it comes to health and education and you start to see you know the metaverse getting out of the prison of VR i've been a big fan of VR because it was part of what we had and marketed when I was at Samsung. But I've always felt that, you know, VR will be free once it uh, gets freed from the goggles. And I was personally fascinated by some holograms I saw uh, in uh, C S And to me, that's a metaverse <laughs> here, real, you <laughs> know. Not because it doesn't exist that it's not real. And it's not because it's not in goggles that it's not web-free. So uh, I really think that what's fascinating, what we saw and what we need to see more and more in those exhibitions is the fact that there's a whole generation, the Gen Z that's born with the iPhone, not to mention the Gen Alpha that's still being born, for whom those new and emerging texts are the norm, are going to be the norm. And uh, that's how they are going to not just interact with brands, but interact with one another and you see how ChatGPT, for instance, was embraced. Not by brands, but by people. And I think looking at how you know new generations of users embrace new tech and how that can actually be something that brands, marketers need to experiment with if they want to future-proof their business for those new generations of coming. Because otherwise, they will, you know, no longer be relevant, and we'll see, you know, their audiences age, just as uh, some audiences of brands, but also of some social platforms, have aged themselves.
1: That's beautifully said. And Mark, what you just mentioned around AR and some technologies like ChatGPT also being part of this next iteration of the internet, I think, is really apt as people are looking to define Web three and. You know, at Vayner, we always say Web three is the next iteration of the internet, and it's inclusive of technologies like crypto and NFTs, and also things that we, you know, haven't yet even seen fully realized. So I love how you just said that. And from your perspective, as an expert marketer, you know, you've been at many brands that have reinvented themselves, that have rebuilt trust, that have also, you know, started from started from a place and grown tremendously over time. What advice would you give to those on the fence about Web three? to push them over to at least start exploring and learning a little bit more. What would be your advice on where they should start and why they should consider this?
2: We've seen a few people you know, dance around Web3, but very few companies have fully gone into it because it's not a thing yet. It still is being defined. And therefore, for a lot of companies, people want proof points before they can dive in. And then on top of it, suddenly you had the crypto winter. So that created a proof bond in the other way, where people said, you see, you shouldn't go there. In reality, I fundamentally believe that Web3 is here to stay because the underlying technology of blockchain and smart contract is a game changer. And so I really feel that's what marketers, people need to do. They need to explore it, experiment it enough to understand the power of it. Because we're at this moment in time, the same way that after the internet bubble burst, where the companies, the brands that will really matter in Web3 or that will leverage Web3 are going to be born, and I truly believe that, in the next three to five years, maybe two to three years. And now is the time to actually build enough of a muscle, whether you want to deep dive in it or just use it, you know, as an addition to your current, you know, marketing toolkit. But now is the time to actually understand enough. And that's the but. I think that Web3 requires enough understanding in its complexity to be able to understand how you can really leverage the opportunity. And that's the challenge of going direct is you can't rely on the intermediary anymore to do your job. Your teams themselves need to understand, you know, enough of it to be able to leverage it.
0: Mark, I want to give you a a hypothesis. I'd just love to get your take on it, which is this podcast is called Gen Z, Generation Crypto. And I think that part of the reason we named it that was the idea that marketing organizations have always had these demographics, right? You've mentioned Gen Z and Gen Alpha and this and that. Crypto and crypto behaviors sort of feel to me like they unlock a different type of behavior because the wallet really is this key, right, that unlocks this transparency on the blockchain of all the things that one does. And so I guess my question for you is, am I off base or onto something, even if the tool set isn't there, to think about the the sort of data we can get on users where you may actually never know their name, but you actually know that they are active in so many different types of communities because of really what they're signing into their wallet or what they're purchasing or selling. like That feels like a bigger unlock when you talk about like zero-party data or first-party data because you suddenly have this transactional ledger of all things. And should companies be looking at those types of behaviors in any interesting and innovative way that you've seen, or is that something you're interested in as well?
2: Yeah, so that's the real reason why I'm into Web3. The thing that Drives me into Web3 is the fact that, you know, first of all, Web3 is not just a technology, it's a movement. It's a movement because we've gone too far in centralization. And I think this is about, you know, this decentralization, trustless, permissionless, where you actually no longer rely on a central platform to decide, you know, whether you can log into another platform just because somebody else has already verified your credential. And by the way, they own them and they make use of them, you know, and make money out of them in your bag. So I think that the beauty is that you know, Web3 is a movement, but when you talk about new behaviors, I feel it's an opportunity, especially I'm passionate about self-sovereign identity. It's an opportunity for people to experiment new parts of their identities that they may not have felt, you know, possible to explore in a physical world because of all the prejudices and inequalities. And by being able to show up through different wallets, through different IDs, you know, in different micro communities based on, you know, their affinity, who they really are, who they really, you know, want to be is a fantastic way to you know rethink for individuals identity in a plural way and in a much more rich and complex way than we've ever seen and that's maybe the biggest opportunity in web3 for individuals for people but also for brands to actually understand that you don't need to know as you just said the people's data but there's so much more rich opportunities To, you know, serve them, to market to them, with them, based on their affinities. And that people are fundamentally complex. And that embracing that complexity and nourishing it even is a a fantastic opportunity. So that's really what drives me into Web3. So even beyond self-sovereign identity, it's self-sovereignty, the right and ability for everybody to basically be in control of their body and their mind. And I think that that's what we're about to uh, not only explore, but hopefully to discover that there is another world out there that's going to be so much richer and so much better for people and for businesses.
1: Mark, so you've worked with a number of different partners to actually bring this to market. And you've taken that theoretical idea of community and actually created a community around Salesforce Web3 Studio, inclusive of a number of marketing leaders, everyone from you know, folks like Ian Rogers from Ledger to Keith Grossman, formerly from Time, to leaders across the blockchain, ethics space, brands like Unilever and Adidas. Can you share a little bit of why you thought that was an important component as you were building out this studio and a little bit of, you know, how this advisory council works?
2: Yeah, so one of the things that we decided very early together with uh, Adam Kaplan, who leads product for uh, Web3, was the creation of that Web3 Studio, which I'm one of the co-founders of, but also the creation of Web3 Advisory Board that Adam and I co-chair. And that advisory board is made of you know, people from the Web3 ecosystem. So you mentioned Ian from Ledger, you know, some people from Lands and the whole ecosystem, some you know, customers some people who actually understand the opportunity for brands, but also people from that sustainability and ethical world. Because we thought it was really important, back to this idea of building a better internet, that we would actually make Salesforce contribution, not just you know for Salesforce, but for the overall industry. And I find that the conversations we're having in this board are really rich. And from the feedback I've gotten from many of the board members, don't really happen anywhere else. We have these conversations about you know, regulations, about you know, consent, about, uh, you know, indeed, ethics. And it's fascinating to see how actually a multidisciplinary group of Web3 fans and experts can actually, I think, contribute to making you know, a positive impact in where Web3 is going and I think that uh, that's part of the conversations we're having. We didn't want the advisory board to be just an advisory board to advise Salesforce on what product it should build. Of course, we benefit from that, but we really want to make sure that, again, it was a two-way street and that collectively we would contribute to Web3 to make it better.
0: Mark, we have taken too much of your time, so thank you for coming on with us. I will say on behalf of listeners and ourselves, please write the book because i do think you have so much to share in this space and i think you're thinking about it on a level that many just coming into it just don't yet get to and so i think there is a you know a guide maybe chat gpt can write it for you just you know we'll figure that out for you to uh, make sure we can bring that into the world thank you so much for coming on i think this was such a great conversation such an important conversation for us to have and i'm personally just super excited to sort of see really how you guys not only bring the studio to life, but how that rolls out across so many other companies in their future thinking about technology engagement and their marketing practices. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and I can't wait to read the book. I think Web3 is going to be a huge chapter, maybe multiple chapters in Your Brand is Your Community by Mark. I will definitely get several copies and hopefully assign one.
2: Thank you, Avery. Thank you, Sam. And uh, see you soon. See you soon. Thanks, Mark.
0: My mind just exploded.
1: Yeah, my brain expanded.
0: I feel like I just learned so much. What was your like takeaway from Mark?
1: I feel like that every time I chat with Mark, he has such a wealth of knowledge. And he really thinks like an enterprise executive because he is one. So the fact that we have someone like Mark, who's been CMO of all these amazing, huge companies and a business leader, really leaning in and evangelizing Web3 to his peer set, I think is incredible. And the work they're doing at Salesforce Web3 Studios is really an illustration of everything that Mark's been talking about from the advisory board to the partners that they're collaborating with to really looking at this as a community building initiative it's really nice to sort of see the early foundation of where that's going and having a big company like Salesforce creating a product that enterprise companies can use that fits within their sort of existing CRM infrastructure is is pretty incredible and you know it's not going to happen tomorrow and it's not going to happen next month but I think we're going to look back in several years and see really the fruits of the labor that they're putting in right now to evangelize this and to also build a product that is you know, enterprise grade.
0: We've spoken so much about what Starbucks is doing. We spoke to Spencer's recently on Anheuser-Busch and you know, these folks that are talking to millions and millions of people. I think when you think of it on the Salesforce level where they're 150,000, 200,000 clients have also hundreds of millions or not billions of customers around the world, and then them being able to empower them to sort of build these systems into their sort of marketing and sales and engagement funnels, the impact might just be giant. And I think that there's something just very inspiring to me about that.
1: Yeah, same. I'm really glad we had honest on a guest. And I'm excited because I know in the next couple of weeks, we have other guests who've actually leveraged the Salesforce Web3 platform and technology on you know behalf of their brands on certain drops. So stay tuned, dear listeners.
0: Indeed. And with that, we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. And we always love to hear from you. So hit up Avery, hit up myself, hit up our team. And we would love to just get your thoughts on our episodes.
1: Yeah. Tell us what you think. Thanks, everybody, for taking the time to tune into Gen C, and we'll see you next time.